0: Well, we're in the book of Romans this morning, and um, one of the first questions that I asked myself was, how in the world was there even a church in Rome? Because you remember this, it was the Romans who, like Pontius Pilate, crucified Jesus, right? And it was Caesar Augustus, an emperor who was against Christianity, and for the first 300 years, all the emperors were against Christianity, so 30 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, how in the world were there five house churches in Rome? And the gospel had to go 2,500 miles. I got a map for you. Look at the map. This is how far it had to travel. It had to go through Bosnia, Serbia, Bulgaria, Istanbul, Turkey, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, all the way to Jerusalem. Folks, 2,500 miles in about 8057. 57, the gospel went. That is astounding. Now, when Paul writes to this church in Rome, like I said, there's five house churches. They're not very big. We don't know how big they were, maybe 30, maybe 40. They're not very, they're not very large. But the gospel gets to Rome, and so I, I conclude with that. It's like, okay, God's going to do what God's going to do, Right? God wants the gospel spread somewhere, God's going God's to accomplish that. It, it's an amazing, amazing book. And there's a chapter in chapter 12, um, verse 1, which is a pivotal verse. But for 11 chapters, Paul builds a case. And I'm going to tell you what that case is in just a minute. But for 11 chapters, he's building a case. And he comes to chapter 12, and chapter 12, verse 1, is our pivotal verse. Let's look at chapter 12, verse 1. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. Now, they're Gentiles. They're not Jews. They're Romans. They're Roman Christians. 25, did I mention that before? 25, how many miles? 2,500 miles from Jerusalem, the gospel goes. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, that's what we're going to talk about today. In view of God's mercy, I'm asking you to go all in. That's what he's saying. I'm asking you to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and your proper worship. We're going to talk about two words today. And I think these two words, if we properly understand them, has the power to transform how you live tomorrow and your attitude for the rest of your life. These two words are condition and position. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference between the words condition and the words position, and most of us have a hard time understanding that because all we see are our conditions. All we feel are our conditions. All we're acutely aware of is like what's right here in front of me. It's it's my condition, but there are two different icebergs. These are on two completely different continents. This word condition, and you've all got them. Everybody came into the room this morning with conditions you've inherited some, you have caused some, some you had absolutely nothing to do with, but you have a condition this morning. And everybody in the room in about five minutes is going to understand what I'm talking about. Even though we're in Romans, I think Jesus in Luke chapter 15, and you don't need to turn there, I'm going to tell you the story, but I think Jesus in Luke 15 helps us with the best illustration of the difference between your condition and between your position. He tells a story about being lost. He tells a story about a lost sheep, and tells a story about a lost coin, and then he gets to these lost son. And in the story of the lost son, there are three people in this story, and they all have conditions, but only one understands his position. The older brother has a condition, the older brother's bitter. What do you mean? my brother's come home. What do you mean we've killed the fatted calf? Dad, I'm not going in the house. I hear music. I hear dancing. I'm mad. I'm angry. I'm bitter. How come you never threw a party for me? And the father is trying to help the boy to understand his position, but he never got it. The younger son, he has got a completely different condition Whereas maybe the older brother's bitter because the younger brother was always, you know, got off work early and he was a slacker and when it got hot he didn't work in the heat of the day. But the older brother was loyal and faithful, and the older, older brother pulled through. But the younger brother was free spirited. And so he asks his dad for his share of the inheritance. He takes if the inheritance if the if the guy was worth three million, he takes about a million dollars and he goes to a foreign country and he squanders it, the Bible says, in wild living. Now, what's so interesting about his condition is he's a good Jewish boy, but he finally realizes when he's feeding the pigs, do you see the irony of that? Good Jewish boy feeding the pigs, and he's over there feeding the pigs, and he's longing to have a different condition because now his condition is not at all what he wants in life. And so he comes to his senses. And the only one of these three that truly never let the conditions of life derail him. Never let the older son anger confuse him. Never let the wild behavior of the younger son derail him. The only one who understood 100% of the time his position was the dad. I am a father. I am a loving father. And I know who I am And I know what I'm supposed to do. I know who I'm supposed to be. And I'm going to continue, whether there's rebellion and resistance or whether there's bitterness and anger, I'm going to be the loving father. You've got conditions. That's not the issue. Do you know your position? That's the watershed issue this morning. Now, every one of you came in here with conditions. Some of you have emotional conditions. Some of you have health conditions. Some of you have vocational conditions. Some of you have, you know, just basic, miserable, unhappiness, bad, sour attitude. Don't punch anybody beside you right now, okay? Some of you have come in here, you're grumpy, you know, you're one of the seven dwarfs. You're the grumpy one, you know. So everybody in the room, we all, and you've had them all your life. You were raised a certain way. You've grown up a certain way. You've been influenced by... Everybody in the room has a condition or conditions that you don't like. You don't like something about how you look. You don't like something about how you feel. You don't like something about where you live. You don't like something about your spouse. Keep your eyes forward right now, okay? (laughs) There's something about everybody in the room that we don't like something But it's our position that gives us stability. It's our position that we need to understand. Not your conditions. Folks, your conditions change. Your conditions blow like the wind. And what Paul is trying to say to these Romans, in view of God's mercy, and for 11 chapters, he builds a case on your position. And he's trying to help you not to go off course. Because you, you're going to go off course if you're focused all the time on your condition. It's your position that Paul is trying to, to make a point with. And so in Romans chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, he builds a case. And he builds a case. And it comes to that pivotal chapter in chapter 12. I urge you, therefore, in view of all this, I've just spent 11 chapters trying to help you understand this. And so what is your position? Who are you? What's your stability? What makes you strong? When the winds blow and the waters flood levels rise, how do you stay strong? How do you not be like the older brother or like the younger brother? How do you be like the father, steadfast, loving, kind, and assured? Well, here's what he does. He builds this case, and he reminds us of our position. And so I want to do that today. I want to make sure that we're clear, not on our condition. You know what your condition is. You all could write a chapter on your condition this morning. But what's your position? And so let's start with the very first one. He starts with what's called the gospel. And he wants to make sure that everybody in this church, in these five house churches, these small little churches, dominated by Roman emperors who are against Christianity, dominated by Nero and everybody who is going to do everything they can to stamp out Christianity. The culture that these five little house churches were in, we, we live in candy land today compared to that. So he starts with the gospel, and here's what he says in chapter 1. He says, The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son, in other words, these are Gentiles. They don't know all Jewish history. They don't know all the stuff that happened with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But he's telling them that through the Scriptures, there was a Messiah who was predicted and prophesied before the creation of the world. Who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David. They don't really know who David is. The Jews love David. But these are Gentiles, 2,500 miles away. And who, through the spirit of holiness, was appointed the Son of God. In power by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles, you, you, you in Rome, who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel has the power to change everything in your life. I tried this past week on a Thursday night. There's a young adult that I like, and he's in, a, he's in Washington, D.C. We spent about 50 minutes on the phone together, and, and he's not a Christian. He's open. He's just not a Christian, and he's struggling. And so I came to this thing called like the gospel. It's good news This is incredible news, but it doesn't matter how many sermons your grandfather preached. It doesn't matter how many prayers your grandmother prayed. It doesn't matter how many Sunday school lessons your uncle taught. Everybody in the room, it's an individual choice, and everybody has to decide, yes, I'm going to accept and embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, or no, I'm not. It doesn't matter what your family did. It doesn't matter what your sister does. It matters what you do. And so everybody in the room, you have an opportunity to change your position, and your position then becomes in Christ, and that changes everything in your life. That's the first one. It's called the gospel. Let's go to the next one. The next one's called eternal life. If we grasp this whole concept of eternal life, it too can change everything about your conditions. This past Monday or Tuesday night at about 7.45 or 8 o'clock, I was at Meese Countryside, and my friend's name is Forrest, and Forrest is 81 years old, struggling, struggling, still alive, rallied a little bit, but Monday or Tuesday night, struggling. And I said to Forrest as I leaned over, he could barely whisper, I leaned over and I said, Forrest, you know you can't lose either way, whether you make it or you don't make it. If you don't make it, you go to glory. He said, you're right, preacher. You're right. Now, why why does that change your condition? Well, it may not change your external circumstances, but it changes the core of who you are. Listen to what he says. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. wrath." These are the people who don't accept the gospel. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will repay each person according to what he has done. To those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. Now, that's a promise that can never perish, spoil, or fade. If you give your life to Christ, you get eternal life. You get to live forever with all the saints and all the angels in glory. It changes and transforms everything in your life. That's a position. Now, I bet this morning, very few of us drove to church going, I got eternal life, I got eternal life, I got eternal life. I bet most of us drove to church this morning going, I got to get a better life, I got to get a better life, I got to get a better life, right? But if you understand that I have eternal life, and nothing. Cancer can't take that away. A bad marriage can't take that away. A supervisor who's not very kind or who's mean-spirited can never take that away. I have eternal life forever. That's a position. That's not your condition. The next one is called grace. This one, too, is like he's, he's wanting us to understand the position of grace Grace is hard to explain to you. You know why? Because there's no free lunches in this world, right? We earn what we get. We eat what we kill, so to speak. And you try to explain this to a person who's not a Christian, and maybe you're not a Christian this morning, every other faith, every other religion, it's what you do. It's how many hoops you jump through. Christianity's not what you do. It's what was done for you. Here's what he talks about with grace. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. This is the grace of God. You got all these sins and you're going, yeah, that's why I'm worried about my condition. But it's not. It's the grace of God who died in your place. All right. If you thought those three were hard, wait till we get to the fourth one. The fourth one I'm going to challenge you with. The fourth one is called righteousness. Now, again, you drove to church this morning, and how many of you said, I'm righteous, I'm righteous, I'm righteous. My wife's not righteous, my husband's not righteous, but I'm righteous. I mean, don't don't answer that, okay? Don't raise your hand. It's so hard for us to grasp that our position is a position of righteousness. Now, you know why it's so hard. Because you know where you still struggle. And even though in this room you've made spiritual progress, you still know that you're not probably where you should be and you're not probably where God's Holy Spirit could lead. So you, you go, I don't know about this whole righteous thing. And so our condition is we remember our mistakes of the past, and we know where we struggle in the present. In fact, I know this. I know this about you. I don't even know what it is. I know in this room, every one of us struggle with something that nobody else knows, Every one of us in this, we've never told our best friend. We've never told our spouse. There's a mark on our soul, and you know it. You know it's there. You feel it. You think about it. You almost smell it. And so to understand that I'm righteous, I don't know, preacher. That's a stretch. Well, look at what he says in Romans. But also for us, to whom God will credit righteous That's a great word. He will credit righteousness for us who believe in Him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. From the dead. Now, what we want is peace. That's the fifth one. The fifth one is peace. Now, how can I have peace with God? I've made all these mistakes. How can I have peace with God? I'm still struggling with, yeah, the preacher's right. i got something inside of me that nobody else knows about that I don't think very good. How can I have peace with God? It, it's not your conditions. It always comes back to your position. Here's what he says, peace with God. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God because I'm such a good man. We have peace with God because I do so many righteous deeds. We have peace with God because I give so much money away. We have peace with God because I share Christ at Starbucks with all these heathens. <laughs> what does it say? It says, therefore, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through, through, our, through Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now are positioned. It's where we stand. Our position is where we stand. And we boast in how righteous we are. No, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. What an awesome place to be. Well, look at the next one. next one's just as cool. And I'm not going to read all the verses on this one. Kale. I'm going to skip the verses for time's sake because I want to do something else. But we're in Christ. And because we're in Christ, we then... Have received the gospel, we get eternal life. We, my goodness, we receive the grace of God. He credits us with righteousness, and even though things are not peachy all the all the time, every day, I have peace with God. I have peace with my heavenly Father. And so Romans chapter twelve verse one, it's the pivotal verse. It's the pivotal chapter. Here is what he says in Romans twelve verse one. He says, "Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters." All right, say it with me out loud. Here we go. Ready? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, and this is your true and proper worship. Now, if you were a good Jewish person, you would understand the whole, living, the whole sacrifice thing because the sacrifices that the Jewish person brought regularly to the temple and to the synagogue they, they would understand that because you brought the whole animal and you sacrificed the whole animal. If you brought a lamb to the temple, you're Jewish, you get this. You carry the lamb, you carry the lamb up the steps, you're actually working with the priest on this whole process, and you sacrifice the whole lamb. And, and what he's trying to do is, is introduce this concept that they've heard about with them, And now I offer me. I now become the one who is offering myself. So the question is how? How do we do that? How do I become a living sacrifice? Well, the first thing that he tells us there is, he says, do not conform. He says, do not conform then to the world. If you want to be a living sacrifice, you don't conform to the world. Now, how does the world operate? How does the world think? You know you're in it. You do business in it every single day. And so if I don't conform to this world, what do I do? Well, the world is always trying to foster itself. The world has an agenda that it's pushing. The world is always trying to make itself famous. The world is always trying to be the center of attention. You you talk to people in the world. You do business with people in the world, and they don't really care about how you're doing. What they really care about is, is can, can I use you? Can somehow I corroborate with you so we can both go forward together? And so let me ask you this question. When's the last time you've had a conversation with somebody in the world? And they ask you, how are you doing? And you start to tell them how you're doing. And they cut you off. They don't listen to how you're doing because they don't really care how you're doing. The whole point is, how are you doing, is a platform so they can get their pitch in, right? And, and so when he's saying, don't conform to the things of this world, he's saying, I operate by a different system. There's a system that I operate in and through and with. So he says, don't, don't conform to the world. He says, but be transformed. Now, what does it mean to be transformed? You've all seen the butterfly and all that good stuff, the caterpillar, the caterpillar, but the whole point about the, 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 the transformation is there's change. Now, in order for there to be change, I think a lot of Christians believe in magic. I, I come to Christ, I go out to Honeymoon Island, I get baptized. Man, I'm just, everything's going to be peachy. and Everything's going to fall into place. And I'll have no more temptations and no more trials and no more issues and no more struggles. I think a lot of you believe in magic. Now, you would never say you believed in magic. But you see, change involves what's called work. And work is just like the boys, like, you know, in the garden. Jesus said, couldn't you just watch and pray with me for an hour? Well, I wonder if they would have been praying for that hour would they have conformed to the pattern of the world? I wonder if they would have been transformed. And so so work is how we get there. And so what happens then? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, what? By the renewing of your mind. And so how does the mind get renewed? It seems like the mind is the key to spiritual growth. The mind is the key to how I go forward. Again, let me just say this to you. Had you thought about, I got eternal life on the way to church this morning, during communion a while ago, you wouldn't have had that on the forefront of your mind like you did. I bet during communion, you shared with God your condition. I bet you didn't share your position. I bet during communion, you were telling Him all your problems. Instead of saying to Him, let Him remind you, I got it covered. I got all your issues covered. I am God. I am sovereign God. My little finger can create the heavens and the earth. And so when you think about this, you begin to think about, well, what is my position in Christ and how do I get stronger and stronger and stronger? He says, renew your mind, renew your mind, renew your mind. Well, how do we do that? I want to give you 11 things real quickly on suggestions on how you shore up your Position in Christ because your mind gets stronger and stronger and stronger. All right, here's the first one. First one is to read or listen to scripture. Does that surprise you? No, it doesn't. So I don't I don't know if this works for you, but let me tell you what works for me. Sunday afternoon, about two o'clock, I am emotionally shot. Okay? It's wonderful. I've prayed, preached, it's wonderful. But about 2 o'clock Sunday afternoon, I am I, I, I'm depleted. Emotionally, I, I am depleted. So I have what's called the holy moment. It's about a 12-minute nap. It's holy. It's holy. You thought communion was holy. I, I'm, I take my nap, and I, I got football going on. I got the Colts going on. I got, I got the NFL package, whatever. But first of all, I start with a nap. But I have learned that because I am depleted, the wisest thing I can do on Sunday afternoon 2 o'clock or 2.15 or 2.30, I turn my phone on Scripture, and I have Scripture playing on the bed, on a pillow next to me, and I'm putting Scripture back into me. Why? Because I'm so spiritual? Don't ask Danita. No. No. It's because I am so depleted, and I need something inside of me that gives me strength and gives me courage. Now, if I need that, and I'm your preacher, how would you go to work tomorrow without Scripture? How would you go to school tomorrow without Scripture? How would you ever leave the house without getting filled up to the fullness of all God has in store for you? I'm telling you, on Sunday afternoons, I've learned when I am depleted The smartest, the wisest thing I can possibly do is to just start listening to my phone, play Scripture, 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 and get the Word of God back inside of me so I begin to fill up. Number two, got to go quicker than that, memorize Scripture. One of my uh, two prayer partners uh, memorizes Scripture. scripture. He's got almost 200 verses memorized. He didn't even start this until he was in his mid-60s. Number three, turn off the news. Hello. Does the news help your spiritual life? Doesn't help my spiritual life. I'll just tell you that. We'll just leave that alone. Let's go to number four. Number four, worship songs. Maybe music doesn't do anything for you, but if you love music, then, then turn on the message or turn on 91.5 or turn on whatever whatever works for you. Number Number five. Attend a connect group. I can't tell you the value of a connect group. You grow. You got people that are like-minded, honest, sharing their faith, sharing truth. You want to grow fast, exponentially in your faith. It's it's a group of like-minded believers that do that. Look at the next one. Surround yourself with godly friends who see life through the lenses of the Bible. I think your closest friends need to be people who have a biblical worldview. I think your closest people, I'm not saying the people you're trying to reach and your friends. I'm saying like the circle of two or three, the closest people. Who do you spend the most time with? I think they ought to be people who see life through the lenses of Scripture. Look at the next one. I'd go all in with a local church. I go all in. You marry a local church. It's like a Clint Eastwood movie. It's the good, bad, and the ugly. But you go all in. You go all in. Look at the next one. You have a daily time and place to pray, listen to God. We've talked about that before. I think you have to have a time and a place, a time and a place. It can be your truck. It can be your lanai. The weather's cooling off. Go outside by the pool. Enjoy that. It can be the park, wherever it is. But it's a place for you, time and a place every single day. Look at the next one then. It's to read a book committed to to God's values. Those are some great ways for you. And here's what he says. See, if you do that, he says, then, look at the next slide, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. And isn't that what you want? I think every one of us in this room want to be able to know God's will for our lives. So what am I saying this morning? I'm not saying you don't have some legitimate conditions. I'm not saying you don't have burdens today. I'm not saying you don't have pain today. I'm not saying you don't have problems today. But what I am saying is you will have burdens and you will have pain and you will have problems tomorrow. But, and those conditions will change. You won't have the same burdens and the same problems five years from now that you do today. But what never changes, what absolutely never changes, the flag in the ground is Christ the flag in the ground is your position in Jesus Christ. That never changes, that never fades, that never spoils, and that never uh, goes away. Well, this past weekend, as, as a group of elders, we had, a, we had an elders' retreat. And our guest speaker was amazing. And he's in his mid 60s, and he's teaching us. He's a great Bible teacher, he's a great business consultant. He actually works with um, very wealthy families, and he helps like succession plans and helps families with businesses, and he's got three or four different offices, and we were just honored to have the guy. He just blew us away with his skill, just a tremendous skill set. And so while he's talking to us, um, he mentioned how he was born in a small house, two-bedroom house. Daddy owned a sawmill, and he and his brother had to work the sawmill every day. And so here's their little shotgun house, two-bedroom. Never had his own bedroom in his life. She had the bedroom with his brother. She had the bedroom with his sister. And right next door was, was the sawmill. And the guy's got a Ph.D. in business. The guy's brilliant. And the guy can teach the Bible, you know, blindfolded, walking up the mountain backwards. He's just a tremendous teacher. So he was telling us when he was 15 years old, their little community, for the very first time, was able to afford a full-time preacher. Up to that point, they'd always had part-time preachers and small, you know, guys coming around. They'd never had a full-time preacher. And so now they get a full-time preacher. He's 22 years old. And the preacher is an educated young man, never been deer hunting. preacher had never been deer hunting before. And so his dad and him are going to take the preacher deer hunting on a Saturday morning. Well, his mom got sick, so his dad stayed behind. But he's 15 years old. He's been deer hunting his whole life. He said, come on, I'll take you deer hunting. So this 15-year-old, our guest speaker yesterday, taking the 22-year-old preacher, full-time preacher, deer hunting, and his gun discharged. Our guest speaker's gun discharged. And he shot and he killed the preacher. Preacher died. Preacher died. And our guest speaker said, every day, I see that preacher's face. Every day I face this challenge. Every day of my life I think about that event, what happened, what took place. Now, How in the world does a 15-year-old recover from something like that? An accident, a tragic accident, all the logic that we have in the world, how in the world are you going to help a 15-year-old come to grips with that? It was Christ he said. It was Christ his greatest weakness. He said has become my greatest strength. My greatest weakness. I go to Christ, I ask Christ for help. I got to have help today. I got to help have help have help tomorrow. Every day of my life, he said my greatest weakness has caused me to fall on my knees and beg God for help. And he said, He has, because I am in Christ. I don't know what your greatest weakness is today, but because you're in Christ, it can become your greatest strength. Now, you already know what that weakness is, and you already know what that condition is right now. Everybody feels it because you're in Christ. He can give you that strength. He can give you that power. He can give you that encouragement. Because, friends, we're in Christ. And we have the gospel. we have eternal life. And we have grace. And we have righteousness. And we have peace because we are in Christ. And nothing and nobody can take that away. So I want to put these two lists back up on the screen as we close this morning. The list of positions and the list of steps. And I want to ask you to pick one on the left side. I want to ask you to pick one on the right side. And and of those positions, what do you need to come to grips with? What of those six is the most important step for you today to go forward with your life? And is there one on the right-hand side? you need to embrace. And when you find it and when you pick it, would you stand up and I'll close for us in prayer. We come before, let me have the prayer partners come down to you while I'm praying. Prayer partners come to the front. Because, see, maybe today, if you're outside of Christ, this is a big deal. You want to come to Christ. You want eternal life. You want your sins forgiven. You want to come to Christ. So let our prayer partners today help you with that. They'll pray for you. They'll walk you through this. Maybe today you've struggled with your condition and you've lost sight of your position. And, again, you just want somebody to pray with you and to pray for you and to pray over you. I'm going to ask that you do that today as well. Father, we've come before you. We've picked one of those positions. We've talked about one of those steps to renew our minds. Now give us the strength to follow through. Jesus, you're awesome. And we bring to you today our greatest weakness, our greatest condition. And we will walk out of this room victorious. Maybe our condition and position will never change. Our our conditions may never change, but neither does our position. Our position is always sure and steadfast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In your name we pray, amen.